0: Open your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Hey, you know what? It was Caleb Holland's birthday yesterday. Caleb Holland's birthday yesterday. And it was Dominic's birthday on Tuesday. Happy birthday to you, fellas. Got a voicemail. I can I kind of listen to my voicemail real quick. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you there, John chapter 15? John chapter 15. Tonight, my subtitle is Bare Naked. If you're offended, just, just pray about it for a little bit. Sometimes you got to get bare naked. God's not offended about being naked. David did it. <laughs> What's what's scripture? Oh, John 15. I'm looking up in another translation. Who has the New Living Translation on it, maybe? Anybody? Oh, dang. Oh, right here? Dang, look at this. I don't even need to use my iPhone. All right, John 15, verse 9. John 15, verse 9. All right, you ready? I'm going to read out the New Living Translation. It says this. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Did you just hear what what I just read? I have loved you, say me, just as the Father has loved me. So Jesus says that he loves us just as much as the Father loves him. If there's anything radical in this world, that's radical. All right, let's keep going. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Not a little bit different, not the way you want to, but the same way I have loved you. God wants us to love each other the same way That Jesus loves us. God wants us to love each other the same way that God loves Jesus. The Father loves, right, Jesus. The same, not a little bit different. Not when we feel like it. Stop talking over there. But the exact same way. That's how we're supposed to love. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. Say me. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Next verse, key verse tonight. I no longer call you slaves because because a master doesn't confide. Say confide. He doesn't confide in his slaves. Now, say now. now. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You are my friends now that, the, now that the, I have told you everything the Father has told me. You are my friends because I've confided in you. We are now friends because I've told you everything that God has told me. We're friends now because I've been bare with you. We're now friends because I've bared my heart with you. Now we're friends. We we didn't used to be friends, but because I've bared my whole heart with you, we're friends. Now now we're friends. There's a a transition from slaves to friends. There's a transition from just an acquaintance to a friend. There's a transition from, from kind of knowing somebody to really... Falling in love with them and actually creating a real friendship. Not friendship on Facebook. Come on. Not friendship on Facebook where you can have 500 friends. Because you can't bury your whole heart over Facebook. If you do it, delete what you posted on Facebook. That's weird. Don't bear your whole heart on Facebook. Take this message to the extreme. How many got this newsletter? Last week, it's last week. Wow, about three of you. <laughs> Sarah did a really good job, and I'm kind of biased. I actually found a quote in here from the youth pastor, so I'm going to read it real quick. <clears throat> because it helps, it helps me communicate what I'm trying to communicate tonight. It, say, it says something like this. Okay, you ready? I love this. Look, like at a little newspaper. It's cool. God says it best. It is not good for man to be alone. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> Woo. Uh, hey. Come on! We could just stop right there and go home. Genesis 2.18. Now in the context, Jesus is at, or God was saying that, the Bible was saying that, <laughs> that a man needs to be with a woman. Amen. We believe that here in this church. Just to clarify... But it was the first thing that God realized wasn't good. Not that he had an epiphany, but it was the first thing that he wanted to show us wasn't good on earth. It was man being alone. If there is anything that the human being longs for, it is to have genuine friendships. We have filled our time with Facebook, texting, and surface-level conversations all in the name of friendship. But in reality, our generation is more alone and in dire need of authentic relationships than any other. Stop hiding behind electronic and half-hearted relationships and make genuine friendships in GM, your family, and the world. It's not good for man to be alone. Let's pray. God, tonight we thank you that you love us. God, thank you that you've desired and chosen to love us. God, even when we not only didn't love you, but we ran from you. Thank you, God, that you would consider us your children. God, that you'd consider us worthy to walk into your home and to sit and dwell with you. Lord, the truth is we're only worthy because of Jesus. And we're here tonight to recognize and respond to Jesus and to love each other. Help us, God, to hear what you're saying tonight. We want to be sensitive to you, so help us, Lord. Help us not just to act like we love you at church, but help us to live it out every day. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Peter 3, Verse 8 says this in the message translation. Summing it up, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, and be humble. That goes for all of you. No exceptions. No retaliation. No sharp-tongued sarcasm. I'm going to read that again. No sharp tongued sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job to bless. Peter says, This is to sum up my letter. Be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. That goes for all of you. No exceptions, no retaliation. No sharp tongue, sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job, to bless. How many of you are thankful for Jesus? Isn't that what we're here for? Isn't that why we're here? Because of Jesus? I'm thankful that God so loved this world. I'm thankful that God so loved me, and not just some cosmos, but God so loved me, and God so loved you, that he gave his son... God didn't so love the world and sit up on the throne thinking about doing something, but because God so loved us, He expressed that love in giving His Son. Jesus came to this, or Jesus was born in the form of a human being. He was born in a manger. Say, manger. This is good. What I'm talking about right now is our bread, it is our life, it's the gospel. Jesus came in the form of a manger. Or sorry, in the form of that'd be weird. He came in the form of a man born in a manger, born in a cave with animals gathered around him to see his birth. That ain't happening at my birth in a month. Tell you that much. That's weird. Not that I'm getting birth. That'd be okay. I've already been born again. Amen. That's disgusting. Clear my mind. He came and he lived among man. Jesus came and he lived, he breathed, he laughed, he smiled, he told jokes. (laughs) Jesus told jokes. He loved people. He listened to people. He built relationships with people. Jesus didn't do some cool thing and create some cool movement. Jesus loved people. Jesus made friends. Jesus came and he did everything right, but he was accused of everything wrong. And he didn't defend himself when they accused him. Rather, he just stayed silent. Because he knew he had a defender that was greater than anyone's defense. And so he just stayed silent. And he went on a cross. Because he was considered a criminal in Jerusalem. Right? And that's what they do to the worst criminals they flog them, they beat them. And he didn't only take that for us, but he took it with silence. He took it without a word, he took it without a defense. And he willingly received it for you and for me. He hung on a cross. And he breathed his last breath. And a few of the words that he said was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them, Lord, because they don't know what's going on. They don't even know what they're doing. And then he, he breathed his last, and he went into a grave. And three days later, he rose again, didn't he? And over 500 men saw him. People saw him. Paul, one of the last, saw Jesus in the flesh with holes in his hands and his feet. A hole in his side when they stabbed him with a spear to make sure he was dead. And then he ascended into heaven. I don't want to try to speak or preach another gospel to help young people feel better. This is the one gospel, and this is what we all need. No matter our age, no matter our ethnicity, no matter our background, there's one story that we can all continue to retell. And it's that story of the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. It's because of that that we are forgiven of our sins and received gladly by our Father in heaven. And when you hear that message, the question now is, what do I do? What is my response in view of what's taking place? A lot of questions you'll hear from, from many of us, mainly young people, you'll hear things like, what's God's will for my life? Yeah, That's nice that God did that for me, but what, is, what do I do now? Like, what, what, What's my part in this? What do I do about it? What is my purpose? What am I supposed to do as a believer? Where am I going if I'm following Jesus? If Jesus is going somewhere and I'm following Jesus, where am I going in this pursuit, in this following, in following this person? Where am I going? And the sad thing is is we've minimized Christianity. We've minimized following Jesus. We've minimized relationship with the God of all creation we've minimized our response to simply just go to church read my Bible when I really feel like it and if I don't feel like it then I'm going to struggle with condemnation because I'm not as good as the guy who always does read his Bible we've minimized it to just try to be a good person make good decisions we've minimized it to just try to be nice to somebody because if I'm nice to somebody then maybe I'll be uh, I'll feel more comfortable to come in and worship God We've minimized it to stay away from drugs, stay away from girls, and stay away from boys, and stay away from bad words. We've minimized it to, to all the things we shouldn't do. And the things that we should do are really just a religion. Go to church, read my Bible, and pray hard. <laughs> and worship hard hard because maybe I'll get a discount on camp. (laughs) The devil's a liar, isn't he? Haven't we minimized our response? Isn't there something so much more to this life than just what I just listed off? I have to go to my small group. I must make some good decisions. I have to make sure that my mom and dad think I'm doing really good. Jesus says, what I'm asking you to do is to love each other as I have loved you. The response to what Jesus has done for us is to love God and love one another. I I like to say it this way. It's to love God by loving one another. It's one thing to walk into a worship service and lift your hands and worship God. I don't take away from that in any way because it's so crucial. But many of us are so fake. I'm just going to say it. I struggle with my own motives as I worship. People are watching me. Lift my hands higher. 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 Okay. <laughs> and so do you struggle with your own motives. And the own in, the, the, your own inclinations that are, that are moving you to do certain or different things. How do, you, how do we respond to what Jesus has done? What do, you, what do you do when the rats are in the attic? Is anyone else hearing that in the background? You know what that is? What do you do when the God of all creation lays his life down for you to build a relationship with you, to know and love you, not just to give you a list of chores to do, but to really know you and to save you from hell? What do you do? How do you respond? Do you create a list of do's and don'ts? Do you start making a new religion to make yourself feel better, to appear, appease your own conscience, or you do what he's asked you to do, to love God and love one another? What did Jesus really do? I mean, if we really boil it down, if we really read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if we really read those four Gospels, and we look at what Jesus does, we find out at the end, come and see your Bible again, at the end of John 15, in verse 15, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. This is the very end. This is the last day before Jesus is crucified and Jesus sums up everything. He says, Now you are my friends. In other words, what Jesus came to earth was not to create a movement or a religion. Jesus came to earth to make friends. Am I wrong? Now, yes, he came to earth to save sinners, for sure. But what he did is he also gave us an example of what that looks like. He didn't just come to earth and die on a cross. He came to earth and he loved people. He was known as and accused of being friends of sinners. That's what he was known for. He was known of being a friend with those that do bad things, like me. Thank God that God chose to make friends with me. We have, we have so spiritualized Christianity to become some weird religion. When we know what it really is, is to love each other as he loved us. How did he love us? By making friends. If we could boil it down in our generation, it would be the response that you need to make is to trade your life to make friends. And some of you right now are in your mind right now, I was just talking to Read about this before, are thinking to yourself, Well that's not my personality. <laughs> and I and I and Reed would say, Well, the devil's a liar. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about a personality. Can I talk about personality for one minute? Because because there's this little movement going on, you know, right now in our church about personalities. And I, and I, I think it's good and it's helpful to learn who I am and what are my tendencies and what are my inclinations and what are my bends to do something specific and how do I and we get so caught up in all of our natural... That's stupid. And there is a place for that in leadership, and I understand that there is a place for that. But where it becomes wrong is we begin to justify our wrong and sinful actions for our own personality. We begin to justify isolation for just my personality. We begin to justify half-hearted, lukewarm relationships and conversations for, well, that's just my personality. Really? Well, well. who said that your personality or my personality is the personality to judge by? There is one personality. Not two, not three. There is one personality that God has asked us to look at as our standard. And it's the personality of the Holy Spirit. And he is not a spirit of isolation. He is not a spirit of, of half hearted relationships. He's not a spirit who cuts and is rude and tears down relationships. He's a spirit that trades his whole self to make friends and to love them. But we justify our sinful actions for our own personality. We justify locking ourselves in a room because I'm introverted, stupid. You have your bends and you have your tendencies. And that doesn't make it right. Let me say that again. Just because you have bends and you have tendencies doesn't make it right. Right? I have a bend to be rude. And I have a bend to be a jerk. As I just said that. I do. Naturally, I don't want to love. But because that's my bend, do I say that's my personality? No. Stop justifying Your actions that are wrong by saying it's your personality. Jesus says and desires that we would make friends with one another. Friendship has been so wrongly defined in our generation today. And if there's anything that can define, if there's any word that can define friends, it's what Jesus says. You are now my friends because I confide in you. Because I've, I've, I've bared my heart with you. I've taken my shoes off. And I've taken your shoes off, right, in John 13. And I've washed your feet. And the next couple chapters later, which is a few moments later, Jesus says, you are now my friends. Peter says, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. Jesus, you can't wash my feet. Jesus says this, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Until we learn to be bare naked before one another, we're not really friends. We're just lying to each other. And until we learn to bear our hearts with God first and foremost, we're just lying, aren't we? I mean, aren't we so good at keeping our feet nice and neat, but we don't allow anybody else to clean them off? Because it's vulnerable, right? It's not my personality. Well, it wasn't Peter's, and what did Jesus do? He rebuked him and said, unless you allow me to wash my feet, we have no relationship. We're not really friends. God has desired that we would make friends with one another. Not friends that the world defines as a friend, but as God defines what a friend is. And I believe the way, the best way to define what a friend is is in 1 Peter 3.8. Be agreeable. Be sympathetic. Be loving. Be compassionate. And be humble. That goes for all of you. No exceptions. No retaliation. No sharp-tongued sarcasm. We will get in that right there in a couple weeks from now about sharp-tongued sarcasm. Because if there's anything that is ruining our church, and I mean our church, I mean this church, it is sharp-tongued sarcasm. Whew, and I'm going to defeat that. And I'm asking you to fight that with me. And stop, stop speaking sharp-tongued sarcasm in the name of a joke. You're lying to yourself, and you're hurting one another. But tonight I want to talk about being sympathetic. Tonight I want to talk about what it really means to sympathize. And what it really means to sympathize is it means to bear your heart with one another. Take off your shoes and take off your sandals and take off your socks and bear your heart with one another. Sympathize. I can't sympathize with my brother Rashad until Rashad and I bear our hearts with each other. When he tells me his struggles and his frustrations, right, and I tell him mine, we're able to sympathize with each other, aren't we? Let me say this again. We're not friends until we do this, right? And God desires that we'd make, a, we, we, we'd make friends with each other, right? And that you're not really friends until you've confided in one another, right? Until you've learned to be sympathetic with one another, right? Peter's burden was that he would not, that, that we would not make the mistake that he made when Jesus went to wash his feet. That we would not keep ourselves to ourselves, but that we would learn to take off our feet. That's weird. Take off our sandals. Take off our shoes. And bear our hearts with one another. Can I read a story? You guys like stories? Yeah, come on. This is an anonymous writer out of my journal. <laughs> anonymous. <clears throat> So I'm being vulnerable right now because, because this is deep from my heart. I'm just kidding. You thought I was crying, didn't you? He looked up. He looked up. <laughs> this is a this is a story. Uh, I I shared it with my brother Andrew and Reed recently, and and this is a quick this is a short story. It's a parable that about a couple of months ago God put on my heart, and I think it brings and sheds a lot of light on this. And so if you just receive this, not just from me but from God, because I believe it's when I was writing it, I felt like it was. Definitely from the Lord. It's called the fight for city walls. The fight for city walls. Before one even builds the core of a city, he builds his wall to protect himself from all other victims in his eyes. He gets so caught up in fortifying his city and realizes he doesn't even need to build the actual city. All he needs to do is, is build, build walls high enough, strong enough, and beautiful enough so that no one can see in past the city walls, get through them, or want to because of the splendor of its decorations. The builder realizes that if he protects the height, the strength, and the beauty of his walls, that he has no need to build the city itself. Because no one will see it but him. When he would go see other cities and walls, he realized that he had wall competitors and heard rumors of the beauty of the cities around him. So he would work all the more to build up his walls, to make them more beautiful, and to make them taller and higher and stronger. So that no one could ever see his city, because he had so much shame of his pettiness in comparison to all the rumors he had heard of the other cities and all the walls that he had seen. Imaginations of other cities would run through his head day and night of their splendor and their beauty, so much so that it drove him all the more to build, strengthen, and beautify his fortified walls, If anyone ever said anything against his walls, he first acted as if it didn't bother him. But in secret, he was enraged and afraid, feared that some didn't like his city walls, feared so much that the lights in his city never went out to work on the walls day and night. These imaginations drove him to do all he could to protect the integrity of his walls. It became his life to defend his walls so that no one could ever see the pettiness of his city. He never turned his lights on again because he didn't want to face his city, the truth that the thorns and bushes had had taken over the entire city. His walls were so high that no light ever reached inside the walls, and all the organic plant and vegetation dissolved. He didn't want to see the truth that his city was no longer a city, but a fortified pit of despair. Is that not the picture of us? God's given us land. He's given us hearts. And all he's asked is that we'd be faithful with that land. All he's asked is that we would take care of the land. But what have we done with it? We've compared land, haven't we? We've compared with one another. And we've got so caught up in building walls to protect ourselves from what other people think of our land we've gotten so caught up in creating really nice walls really nice exterior walls to make ourselves look really really good and all along our hearts are dark broken lost and alone and afraid and we aren't in a city anymore we're just a pit of despair and god desires that we would tear down those walls that we would learn to bear our hearts with one another that we would learn to be real with one another i've said this a couple months ago something similar to this message but i'm coming back to this because i realize how many of us are holding so many things back and you're believing a lie that you shouldn't tell anybody you you are there should be nothing in your life that somebody doesn't know about there should be nothing in your heart that you haven't told I don't care if it's the worst thought ever there should be nothing in your heart that you have here check this out okay so it's 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 one thing to tear down walls okay it's one thing to confess my faults right to say hey brother i'm struggling hey sister i've just been having a tough time i was gossiping about that girl it's one thing to tear down walls it's another thing to yell to the whole city i have thorns and and bushes taking over my land and i need help i need somebody come help me tear down these walls and take out these thorn bushes that are killing and choking out my life. What does that mean? It's one thing to tell people your struggles. It's another thing to boast in your struggles. It's one thing to say people, tell people I'm struggling. It's another thing to tell people how much of a bad person you are. And not just with false humility. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're good at that too. I'm the chief of sinners, bro. And then somebody says, I'm the chief. No, I'm the chief. I'm the worst sinner. <laughs> and it's just a bunch of false humility, and the, r- the truth is there's building bigger walls. Who can be more humble? And all along it's just another way of building walls in your life. You know what God's doing right now, especially in our guys in our in our male that I can tell right now? God is is challenging us, you, me. To bear our hearts with each other, and God is even now, right now, challenging you girls to bear your hearts with one another. You aren't—you don't have any friends. You don't have any friends. You have no friends. If you haven't bared your heart with anybody last or last weekend, I was driving. Uh, from Russian ri- r- from Anchorage to the Russian River, and had some time with my wife, and it's kind of a code, you know, and being married, m- being married. There's some things you just don't tell your wife. That's what people say, right? And as I'm driving out there, I've been meditating on this. Man, I gotta bear my heart with people, and the people that I don't want to tell, I need to bear my heart with, right? And Every thought every th- i, I, I don 't I just want everybody to know i just i 'm just tired of just struggling and then thinking and acting like i 'm a good person and creating these cool walls and people are like man you 're amazing no i 'm not i 'm just a fortified pit of despair, and I have friends that are helping destroy down those walls in my life that I've created to make me look good so people can point at me and say that i 'm good when all along. I'm I'm not because if I said I am then now I'm saying I'm holy and God isn't. But that's the biggest difference between us and God is that he's holy in nature and we're not. He calls us to be holy in being and we're not. I'm driving out there with her and I begin to thinking about this, you know, just kind of flirting with the idea of sharing things that you just don't tell your wife. <clears throat> And it was awkward, Reed. It was. But she listened to me. And she told me she loved me. No matter what. She sympathized with me. She goes, I don't understand you. You're weird, but. And you know what? Right now, I have a fear right now that you thinking of some of the worst things that I probably don't do and don't not do. But I don't even care if you think that I do those things. And if I do care, like I am right now, I have a problem. See what I'm saying? Because I really want to make sure you think I'm a really good person. Because if I make you think I'm a really good person, then now I'm holy and I'm good and I become the superstar, no longer is Jesus on the throne, but I become the throne of this youth ministry. And That's the last thing that I want. And so I'll just throw something out there and you can think the worst of it. And I don't care. Because I'd rather you think that I'm nothing and that God's powerful in me than thinking that I'm something amazing. My wife thought I was weird, but she laughed and we had the most intimate time just driving down the road together, bearing our heart with each other. And I learned this is what real friendship is. All along I've listen to the lie of the enemy that says don't tell people you know what your problem is with your struggles you don't tell anybody and don't just tell people to make yourself feel better because that's a problem you need to boast in your failures and learn to run to people and toot your horn about how horrible you are and toot the horn about how great God is And once again, I'm not asking you to get in front of this youth ministry and on this pulpit and say, I'm the chief of sinners. Oh, horrible. Just so you know. Because we all know that, right? You know, the funny thing is, is that we don't tell anybody, but everybody already knows what we're struggling with, you know? Everybody's like, yeah, dude, I already knew that. You're a jerk, you know? They They just want you to tell them. You know? They just want you to say it. Just say you're rude. I'm rude. Just say I'm a brat. I have a problem with talking bad about people behind their backs. I have a problem with with staying up really late at night, doing nothing, and sleeping in till four in the afternoon. That's wrong. Stay up till four in the afternoon. I have a problem with just sitting on the computer and looking at naked pictures of human beings. I have a problem with thinking of the most nasty things you could imagine. I'm not saying this is me. I'm just saying this is what we need to do. I have a problem. We need to stop telling people of our strengths and start telling people of our problems. We're so good at praising ourselves, aren't we? We're so good at keeping our shoes on and not letting anybody see how dirty our feet are. We're so good at it. I'm, I'm good at it. I'm good at building city walls. How do we respond to the, to the gospel on Friday, on Saturday, on Sunday, on Monday and Tuesday? Make friends. How do I do that? Be sympathetic. Bear your hearts with one another. Live the real gospel. Because you may come in here and worship and feel some good tingling in your bones, and then 10 years from now, have an affair. Or 10 years from now, get addicted to poker or to some gambling game. Or 10 years from now, get addicted to the computer and neglect your family. Or 10 years from now, lose your job because you're lazy and you haven't learned discipline. Or 10 years from now, get fired because your boss heard you talking behind his back. or six months from now going through a tragedy, tragedy in your life. And all it does is adds to how much struggles you're going with. And all you do is you run because you haven't been able to bear your heart with anybody. You see what I'm saying? I'm just trying to be real tonight because I'm tired of... Of just having a cool, good service and then us leaving and and nothing happening. I want to give you something practical to live by. Boast in your failures. Talk about them all the time. Girls, do it with girls. Share your hearts and bear your hearts with one another. Make friends. Stop isolating yourselves. You hear what I'm saying? Stop isolating yourselves. Stop, well, I have lots of friends. Have you bared your whole heart with them? Right now, God is even right now showing you relationships that you have right now. And if you have not bared your heart with them, then you're not a real friend. Well, they haven't done it first. I'm not, I'm talking to you. Not them, but she's in the room. Shut up. I'm talking to you. Anybody ever played poker before? Didn't to just say gambling was bad? Shut up. <laughs> Let's see your hands again. Anybody play poker again? All right, cool. Come on, we're being vulnerable, baby. <clears throat> poker is a unique game. Mike McSwain, one of our friends, brothers, uh, guys that comes and leads in our prophetic nights, our, our praise nights that we have, uh, the first Friday of the month we're going to have in a couple weeks. Uh, he, he shared this with me. It's an analogy about poker. And, and one of the things you do in poker is that you can't get into the game until you put in your you ante. You can't play the round of cards until you first put in your chips to play, right? You, I mean, you've played before, right? You can't play. Everybody's like. <laughs> right? Right? Okay, you play. Okay. You can't play the round. I've never played with chips, and you haven't played poker. You can't play the round until you first put in your chips. And when you're putting your chips, you're saying, I'm in. I'm playing this hand. I'm playing this round. And then when you begin to bet and say, I have a good hand, and I go to bet in a certain amount of money, for somebody to play with me, they have to put the same amount in, right, to play with me. You want to make friends, but you have to put in the money first. You want to play the game of friendship? Put it all in. And see what happens. How many times you go play with a bunch of high schoolers or junior hires, and they always just go all in. All in. You're like, gosh, I hate playing with you guys. I had a horrible hand. You know what I mean? We should live like that with each other in the sense that we just, this is my struggle. And they're like, man, I thought I was bad. I mean, uh, you know. No, don't say that. Don't say that. Usually, it's yeah, me too. I'm right there, bro, I, let's sympathize together. Guys get all emotional, start crying, holding hands. Hey, man, this, I can, what happens, you know? I think God's doing something unique in this culture, but i want I want to challenge the culture to go even further in that. Amen. I want to challenge you and say, "Are you making friends? Yeah, Gabriel. Have you bared your heart with everybody? This is a real simple message, but I challenge you to live it. And if you do start living it, watch what happens to this culture. Just watch. You know what will begin to happen? You'll fall in love with each other. Not guys and girls. That's weird. Not guys and guys. (laughs) You know what I mean? <laughs> it's a dirty minds. Right, Dean? You know what I'm talking about? <sighs> you actually love each other. You know, in the New King James Version, in that scripture, in, in 1 Peter three eight nine, 9, it says, love each other as brothers and sisters. That's a new living, actually. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Would you stand up with me? Still got my shoes off. (sighs) I'm just trying to be open. How many guys got to go somewhere right now? Okay, see ya. (laughs) Christine and Hannah have to go and Billy. I took my shoes off because I'm going to stay a little while. You going to stay a little while? Thanks, Austin. Appreciate it. Austin will stay with me. Right now, there's something going on in your heart where God's convicting you, and you have to make a choice. Am I going to respond, not to some altar, but let your altar be your friend? I don't have any friends. Make a friend. Put your chips in. I love it because you know what I love about you guys? You guys are all very responsive. You do. When we ask you to give, you come and give. When we ask you to come up and worship, you come and worship. When we need to help to serve, you guys come and serve. And I really appreciate that. You guys are real legitimate Christians. And if you're not, you know that you're not. Because you're not doing any of those things. <laughs> but you know what you can do? To be a legitimate Christian, make friends. Make fr- say, say make friends. Make friends. Simple message. Just make friends. You guys ever watch uh, uh, Mr. Rogers? <laughs> yes. The train. Is there a train in that? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, the train. I totally didn't even remember there was a train in there. I just remember the guy in his in his sweater he put on every day. What color was the sweater? <laughs> Look at it. This is hilarious. What color? Isn't it amazing how many, we see so many different colors? It's, I had, this has no point in my message. I should just wrap it up. I can't say it enough. Stop building walls. Rip down those walls and boast about those thorns in your life. Amen? Come on, amen? Let's get fired up about that. Woo, I'm going to tell everybody how horrible I am. Because you know what happens? I'm going I'm to finish it with this last phrase right here. When you boast in your weaknesses, God is strong in you. But when you boast in your strengths, you're just a little weakling because God shows Himself not in you, but just outside of you. Because all you're doing is you're saying, I'm holy. But when you declare that He's holy by saying that you're not and confessing it before one another, God powerfully expresses Himself in you and you get to experience real life. You've been looking for real life? Bear your heart with each other. I challenge you. Let's pray.